0: Well, good morning again. Paul began this letter to the Colossians with a statement of how the gospel message is bearing fruit throughout the world, including the town of Colossae. In the first two chapters, he pointed us to the Colossians. He he pointed the Colossians to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And then he showed them how the word of the gospel bears fruit in God's people as we put off the old and put on the new in Christ Jesus and that there is neither Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Jesus alone can unify a fractured society. And then Paul turns to family and work life, how the word of the gospel bears fruit in marriages and families and even our workplace. That's what we looked over the last three sermons, remember? And now Paul pivots. He pivots from us to them, from us who have the hope of the gospel bearing fruit in our lives as Christ is supreme and preeminent in our lives, and and we seek to live for his glory. It's a shift from us who have this to them, the world outside that needs the gospel. See, Christian, here's what Paul wants us to understand If the word of the gospel has come to you and has taken root in your life and is bearing fruit, then that is not where it ends, with you. To walk in faithfulness, which is the series title, means that we spread this word of hope to our neighbors. That is how the gospel bears fruit in this world. People who have it share it with others. And the loving kingdom of Christ is spread like yeast in a lump of dough. And so yes, this sermon is about our fruitfulness in spreading God's word to a world that desperately needs it, but doesn't even know it needs it. And so yes, this sermon is about evangelism. And oh, a disclaimer, it's also about prayer, evangelistic Prayer. Yes, I I know the two topics in which most Christians feel so inadequate are evangelism and prayer. And so some of you are perhaps thinking, prayer and evangelism? Yikes! I'd rather hear a sermon on tithing. Well, I didn't choose the topic God did. It's in His Holy Word. And since we preach through books in the Bible, we end up covering what God wants us to study. So this morning, be encouraged. I think that by the end of our time studying this text, we will be energized to pray and to evangelize. But how can that ever be? Well, let's read Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of God, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we confess our need for spiritual growth. We need you to lead us, teach us, guide us in your good, lovely, and holy ways. You are the great evangelist. You are the one who longs to see sinners turn to you. You are the one who sent your Son, and now you send us. So we pray that we would develop your heart for this world as we study this passage together. Amen. Prayer. Evangelism. Two deeply entrenched, troubled spots in the Christian life. All I need to do is ask you, um, how's your prayer life? How are you in evangelism? It's true, right? Most Christians feel so inadequate in both areas. In our passage, uh, the context for steadfast prayer um, in in evangelism, that's what we see in our passage. That's the context to be steadfast. Paul is saying, be persistent in your prayers. As you pray, pray for open doors for the word of God to go out into this world. It is interesting that Paul is in prison as he wrote these words. You would think that he would ask for prayer for what? Open doors, literally. (laughs) Open doors of the prison so that he can get out. But Paul models for us the old Christian adage there are bigger fish to fry. Okay, that didn't come from the Bible, but you get my point. Paul has matured in his faith to where he cares more for the word of the gospel getting out into the world than of himself getting out of prison. We can learn from Paul, can we not? And and here's what I think we can learn as we open up this text. Here's the big point. Spreading the word of the gospel through prayer and evangelism is essential, but it is also satisfying to our souls. You know, I think we would all admit that prayer and evangelism uh, are on the essential Christian practices list, but satisfying? How can this be? Well, let's dig in and see. I want to use Dick Lucas's outline for a passage. It's really simple. Um, In his commentary, he gives two simple headings for our time together. The headings are these. First, prayer is speaking to God about people. Second, evangelism is speaking to people about God. So first, prayer, evangelistic prayer, is speaking to God about people. And the big idea here is this. The more we recognize the magnitude of what God has done for us, individually and as a church, in Christ, the the more we pray with thanksgiving for God to do the same work in others as he has done in us. It, It makes sense, right? This gift of God towards you and me, this grace which has given us new life and is transforming us in every way in our lives, this is what the world desperately needs. Listen, the answer to everything that is wrong in this world is Christ and his kingdom that has come. Every marital problem, every racial divide, every chemical dependency, every cry for justice, every longing for significance, every hoping for the world to be made right, the answer to every problem is Christ. What God is doing to redeem and restore and renew humanity through Christ do you know what makes Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech not only so powerful? It, it's, it's not only so powerful, but it's true, right? That's the beauty of his speech. His speech is it's biblical. It's about Christ and the things God has done and will do through him. There will be a day when a man is no longer judged by the color of his skin, but rather by the content of his character. In Christ, God is making all things new, and the new community that Christ died to create is a unity of diversity. Listen, Christ does not homogenize his people. No, he unifies his diverse people into one body. Only by the cross of Christ are we all made one. And so Martin Luther King Jr.'s hope and our hope for a world without racism, without um, injustice, is not a pipe dream. It is what the word of the gospel brings about as it spreads across the globe. That is what Paul is interested in with our prayers. In chapter 1, Paul spoke about how this gospel is bearing fruit all around the world. Remember that? Maybe not. It was back in January. Um, and, And it's come to bear fruit in Colossae. And now they get to pray and evangelize so that it will continue to spread and bear fruit. Guess what? So to us, the gospel has borne fruit in us, Grace Church. And we get to be part of it spread to others. And so Paul calls us to speak to God about people. That's what prayer is. Prayer is essential, but it's also satisfying. I want us to look at two reasons why prayer is satisfying. First is the gratitude and then the grandeur of prayer. It's the gratitude that we have towards God that is the fuel for our prayers. Without gratitude, listen, you will not be a praying person. Sam Storms, whom I'm indebted to this morning, he writes this. The easiest thing about prayer is quitting. Yeah, true, right? What's the use, we say? I prayed numerous times and God hasn't done anything. You know, it must have been the same in Paul's day. For he exhorts the Colossians to be steadfast and watchful in prayer. Verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Steadfast means to persevere in prayer. Even when you are tired or grumpy or doubting or feeling lazy or feeling like it's no use at all, pray. Be steadfast. Like every top athlete knows, they must be steadfast in their training. So too, says Paul, we are to be steadfast in our prayers, especially with regards to opening doors for evangelism. And to be watchful means that we are alert in our prayers, that our minds are not on autopilot, you know? Have you ever prayed autopilot prayers? I have, for sure. At times, I can find myself just regurgitating Christian ease as I close my eyes. Father, thank you for this day. Be with us. Keep us safe. Wah, 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 wah. All the while my mind is not really engaged. I'm not watchful. I'm not alert. So Paul says to be steadfast and watchful. Now, how do you typically respond when someone says be steadfast and alert? If your boss held a staff meeting that began with the words, Team, we are facing big new challenges at our company. I need you to be steadfast and watchful. (laughs) Would you not be sitting around that conference table just biting your nails? But notice, Paul doesn't say be steadfast and watchful with trepidation. No, he says what? With thanksgiving. You probably don't remember it, but in the first point in our first sermon in this series, I said these words. Thankfulness. Understand this important truth. Without thankfulness, there is no faithfulness. See, without gratitude, you will walk in bitterness. But when you are thankful for all that God has done for you, your heart is tuned to the will of God and you happily walk in faithfulness. This letter is a lot about gratitude and thankfulness. My friends, thankfulness, gratitude, that is the fuel for the Christian life, including our prayers. And so if you find your prayers are a bit feeble lately, most likely the issue is that you are lacking in gratitude. You need to reflect and delight again in the gospel. See, I'm convinced of this. God has given us far more reasons to be grateful than we can ever respond to. There is so much fuel to fire our prayer. That's the gratitude, now the grandeur, the grandeur of thankful prayer. God is up to something grand, nothing short of the redemption and rule of the entire cosmos. And listen, God has like sucked us up into his grand plans. And nothing changes us more than when we know we are part of something big. Remember how Jesus taught his disciples to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When we pray, listen, we are speaking to God. <laughs> there is nothing that you can do that is more grand than that. Call up the President of the United States. Hello. Yeah, less grand. Call up Michael Jordan. Less grand. The most grand thing you can ever do is communicate with your Creator. When we pray, we pray to God Almighty and we get to call Him Father. Father. Oh, the grandeur of prayer, in that the eternal Creator listens to us as our Father in heaven. That grandeur alone of God listening is motivation enough but our father in heaven gives us more motivation he has a kingdom in heaven that he is spreading on earth thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven that is a grand and glorious plan listen and be amazed you and I get to pray for this God's rule and reign and goodness and glory being spread across the globe, which is what the world needs. Listen, Christian, some of you out there, Christian, whose marriage God has repaired, does not your neighbor's marriage need Christ too? (laughs) It does. And your prayer for open doors into your neighbor's lives, listen, is the means by which your neighbor will come to experience the gospel transform them. Talk about the grandeur of prayer. See, God could just drop in on your neighbor next door without you, right? I mean, he is God Almighty after all. But listen, and be simultaneously humbled and lifted up. God has chosen to achieve his ordained purposes through you, Listen, I know it's it's hard to wrap our heads around, but it's true. There are things that God has foreordained to happen, but they will happen as an answer to your prayers. I'm serious. Because you pray for open doors of the gospel into people's lives, there will be people who come to faith in Christ. Do you believe that? And does this not simultaneously humble you and lift you up? Consider it. Oh, the grandeur of God that, that you have been brought into. Like I've been saying, prayer isn't just essential, it's satisfying. And so we simply get to speak to God, our Father, about people. <laughs> Father, lift up my si- I lift my sister up to you. She needs Christ, but her heart is so hard towards Christianity. Would you soften it? Would you make a doorway into which I or someone else could share the gospel with her? And may it be spoken clearly that she may embrace Christ. My best friend from college is named Greg. I love him. We're still good friends. Neither of us were Christians in college. Later, when I became a Christian, I started sharing the gospel with him. And he kept saying that he wasn't a sinner, um, but he was a Christian, he thought. Um, And then he moved to Portland, Oregon. And I began praying specific prayers. I prayed that God would bring Christian men into his life. A few months later, I spoke with Greg on the phone. He said, you never guess what, Mark. Um, there's a neighbor I've become friends with, and, and uh, he, he's a Christian. And he's been telling me all the same things that you've been saying about Jesus. Oh, and guess what, Mark? <laughs> my boss, My boss is a Christian, <laughs> and he's been telling me the same things you've been telling me. I'm like, wow, God really does hear those prayers. A few months later, and after a serious sin in, in Greg's life that totally humbled him and humiliated him, he finally admitted he was a sinner and needed Christ. And I was on the phone with him one day shortly thereafter, and I led him in prayer to receive Christ. Well, let me ask you. Could God have brought Greg to Christ without my steadfast, watchful prayer for open doors? Yes, he could have, but we will never know, because I did pray, and the doors did open up, just as Scripture promises. Listen, my friends, that is the grandeur of what we get to participate in. Our prayers truly move the hand of God to bring about his ordained purposes. My friends, does this not stir in you a desire to pray right now? We get to speak to God about people. That is what prayer is. We get to pray, God, thank you for how you've given me new life in Christ. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for placing me in a church family. Thank you for making me more like Jesus every day. Now, Father, would you open doors for this gospel into my neighbor's life? Open his heart and mind so that he would be receptive to the gospel. Send your spirit to give him new birth. That is what we get to do. Speak to God about people. And because he has determined to bring about his renewal and through our prayers we get to be drawn up into the grandeur of it all. So my friends, let us be thankful. And may our gratitude fuel our prayers so that we may be steadfast and watchful in our prayers that we may delight that God is bringing us into the grandeur of his glorious plan to bring renewal to all things. And so, and so let, us, let us pray for open doors that this mystery of the glory of Jesus may, may spread more and more into our community. So, prayer is essential in speaking to God about people. Now let's see how evangelism is essentially us speaking to people about God. So in its simplest description, evangelism is speaking to people about God. Now as I was thinking this through earlier in the week, what came to my mind was um, Paul's words elsewhere in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal Through us, we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As Christians, God has reconciled us to him, and now we play the role of ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. Broken sinners, redeemed by God's grace. (laughs) We are the means, the vessels by which the gospel goes out. God makes his appeal through us. It's amazing, right? Just as God has foreordained our prayers to build his kingdom, so too he has foreordained to make his appeal to others through us so that they too may be reconciled to God. Now, imagine if you were an ambassador uh, in Iraq. Sorry, France was already taken. Ambassadorship in Iraq would be a huge undertaking. And certainly you would take it seriously, right? You would desire to walk in wisdom. You would desire to make the best use of your time. Heaven forbid some staffer walk in on you while you're playing Fortnite. And like all good ambassadors, you would choose your words wisely. Your speech would be gracious. You know, the problem that many Christians have in their evangelism, other than lethargy, is that they tend to wear the wrong hat. What do I mean? Well, what were the three hats that Jesus wore? They coincide with the three offices he fulfilled from Scripture. They are prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is the great prophet that the Old Testament prophets spoke of. Jesus is the great high priest that fulfills all the Old Testament priestly functions and then some, right? And Jesus is the true and faithful covenant king, that all the Old Testament kings pointed to. Now the problem many Christians have in their evangelism is they neglect to interact with unbelievers as priest or king and they go all prophet on people. Without caring like a good king or listening like a good priest, the prophet thinks they already know what's wrong with the person and they start saying, thus says the Lord, here's where you fall short. When Christians only wear the prophet hat, instead of building bridges for the gospel as we care for people, they tend to burn the bridges. The great Christian apologist Francis Schaeffer was asked what he'd do if he had an hour to share the gospel with someone. He responded by saying he'd listen for the first 55 minutes and then in the last five minutes have something meaningful to say. In other words, he'd listen in order to speak the gospel. Schaeffer is saying he'd wear the king or priest's hat first. Think about it, right? A king, a good king, cares for the well-being of his citizens. He cares about them having food and shelter, that they are healthy, that they are protected. Kings rule in equity and pass good and fair laws. They carry about, care about justice. Jesus wore the king's crown. One was mockingly made out of thorns and pressed deep into the skin of his head as he bled and died for his people. Like a good king, he fought the battle for his people. He won the victory for them. And in so doing, he laid down his life for them. That's what kings do. The priest functions how? He brings the spiritual needs of the people up to God And he brings the mercy and grace of God to the people. Beautiful, right? Oh, that we would be priestly people in our community. You know, Scripture says that we are a kingdom of priests, not a kingdom of prophets. We are to bring this mercy and grace to the people here on earth. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we never speak prophetically. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. People need to know that they are living sinful lives. And that the wages of sin is eternal death and separation from God for all eternity. That is so true. And people need to hear it. But let me just say, the prophet hat is usually best put on last, not first. I mean, look to Jesus. Jesus rarely donned his prophet hat first. And usually when he did, it was to speak woe to the Pharisees. How did Jesus share the gospel with the Samaritan woman at the well? I encourage you to read the account in John chapter 4. Jesus puts on his prof- prophet hat last. First he was kingly. He said, if he knew who I was, the king of kings who provides for people, you would ask me to give you water. Good kings look for needs to be met, right? Then Jesus puts on his priestly hat. The water I give you will forever satisfy your spiritual thirst. Preach, pre- priests talk in such a way as what as to stir up spiritual yearnings. Then at the right time, Jesus put on his prophet hat. Remember, He tells her that he knows she's not married to the guy she's living with, and that actually she's been divorced five times. And she replies, "How? I know you are a prophet." And so she brings up a topic to take the heat off. By the way, have you ever shared the gospel with someone? And then partway through, um, they ask some way off-topic question that is meant to keep you from going any deeper. You've done that before, right? They ask things like, "Uh, oh, by the way, will my dog be in heaven? Or what about the crusades, though, huh? Or the Illuminati? That is what the woman at the well seems to have done. Well, well, you Jews worship on your mountain. We Samaritans, we worship on our mountain. So thanks for stopping. by. see ya. Jesus said, you're right about that. But there's a day coming when we Jews and you Samaritans will worship together by the Holy Spirit. And then she also kind of steps back a little. She says, I know. I know the Messiah is coming someday. And so when he comes, then the matter will be settled. And then, after wearing the king's hat and the priest's hat and the prophet's hat, he looks at her in the eyes and says to her, I who speak to you am he. And in that instant, she believes. And do you remember what she did? What did she do? She ran off to the village, that village that had scorned her and ridiculed her and kicked her out. She ran back to them, invited them to come and meet Jesus. Evangelism. She talked to people about God. She, she caused a stir in the village as she roused everyone she could. And she said to them, come, see a man who told me everything that I've done. Can this be the Christ? How does this challenge you? When you think of evangelism, do you think it's like all about being the prophet and just telling people how they don't line up with God? Is that what you lead with? Isn't refreshing to see that Jesus first cared for lost souls as a king would or as a priest would before opening up the true and necessary words of a prophet? My friends, that is what Paul is getting at when, when he says in, in, in verses 5 and 6, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. A good ambassador walks in wisdom. They take time to assess the situation, they discern the type of person they are talking to, they ask questions, they are slow to speak, and they are quick to listen. See, we're to be wise, and we're also to make good use of our time. You know, people often say they're, what, just too busy, too busy to evangelize. They say, you know, there's my kids' ballet lessons on Mondays and Wednesdays, and I've, I've got book club, and, and, oh yeah, and then, you know, I gotta, I gotta get my workouts in at the gym. Well, guess what? Paul is saying, make the best use of your time in the relationships you can develop at ballet and book club and the gym. (laughs) See those relationships as opportunities for Christ to use you as his ambassador. And just think this through. Evangelism isn't just the times you recite John 3.16. Evangelism is you at the well asking kingly questions or priestly questions. Things like, I heard your hours got cut at work. You know what? I've got some clothes that my kids have outgrown. Let let me prepare a few boxes for you. And then when you prepare those boxes, you also throw in some food in the boxes too. That's how you could wear a king's hat in evangelism. And when you ask your friend if it would be okay if you prayed for her this week, and she surprisingly says, oh, would you please? Well, then you're wearing the priestly hat. And think this through, my friends. Often, it is only after our kingly and priestly care that people are ready to hear the prophetic gospel message. And even then, look at what Paul says should guide us in verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know, even when, the, when it is the right time to put on the prophet's hat, the way we do it can be wrong. We can come across as arrogant or judgmental or intolerant, right? I mean, that's what unbelievers think Christians are. Those are their go-tos for us. Arrogant, judgmental, intolerant. And it's often because of our speech, how we talk to them, talk down to people. So Paul says, let your speech always be gracious. gracious. Always gracious. Paul is saying, yes, we must not water down the gospel. Our words need to be pointed, but they also need to be pleasant. I love how Paul says our words should be what? Seasoned with salt. Salt makes the flavor already in the food explode. Now, I like what the question that Sam Storms asked. He says, do you talk of Jesus in a way that makes people's mouths water?" That's what Paul is getting at here as we speak to people about God. Do our words make them long for another bite? The last detail to look at before closing is this. Paul writes, so that you may know how to answer each person. Each person, not some people, not the people you want to speak to. Not the people you choose, but each person God brings you into contact with. We don't judge or decide. God does for us. Now, when you start thinking through the implications of the words each person, you come to realize how extensive this calling is upon you and me. There is not, listen, there is not a person anywhere that you encounter. And every minute of every day that is excluded from your ambassador duties. Which means we get to pray unceasingly, Lord, open a door for me here to speak the gracious words that please you. As we wrap up the second and final point, do you see that now that evangelism is more than just speaking like a prophet? That evangelism is you being an ambassador of Christ in your daily living? As you like christ your king seek to care for others around you and see that their needs are met and that justice is pursued and and this is you serving in a priestly role as you seek to bring mercy and grace to people who need mercy and grace and you also bring the spiritual needs of people before your heavenly father consider the thousands of people around this church building who live out here who have no one praying for them. My friends, we get to be priests for the people around us as we lift their souls to heaven. When evangelism is seen this way, it's so appealing, right? We simply get to speak to people about God, the God who made them, the God who sees them in their need, the God who sent his son for them, the God who welcomes sinners who repent, the God who gives living water of eternal life. Evangelism isn't just essential, it's also so satisfying, right? So, here we are, Grace Presbyterian Church. Do you now see that spreading the word of the gospel through prayer and evangelism is essential? but also satisfying to our souls. And so, Grace Church, let us delight in what we have studied this morning. Let us see ourselves as vital in God's kingdom plans to renew and restore, to bring healing and hope, forgiveness of sin, and that each of us has a role, listen, that none other can do. Your role is nothing that I can do, and I can't can't do your role, and you can't do mine. We all have roles here to play. God has given us the glorious task of praying for doors to open around us, for the gospel to go forth, and the task of speaking to each person that God brings into our lives gracious words concerning Christ in such a way that our words make people's mouths thirst for the living water of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for you for your kingly care your priestly provision and prophetic word may we soak in the truth that we have studied may we develop your heart for the lost people around us may we make the best use of our time for your glory Father, would you open doors for Grace Church to proclaim the word of the gospel. May we have numerous opportunities to speak with gracious tongues and salt-seasoned words. May we love our neighbors well by speaking to them about you. Amen.